From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Florida closed out 2018 in style over the weekend, pummeling Michigan 41-15 in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. The fifth time proved to be the charm for the Gators in the all-time series against the Wolverines, and it was also the first time the Orange and Blue tasted victory in the game named for Georgia's most famous fruit. On today's show, we'll recap that incredible performance, assess where the Gators are entering the offseason, and discuss a massive revenge win for men's basketball with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Then we'll catch up with women's basketball head coach Cam Newbauer as his team prepares to open conference play. But first, few were expecting a blowout in the Peach Bowl, but since the Gators have been defying expectations all season, it shouldn't have come as a total shock that they won going away despite being a touchdown underdog. To begin our roundtable with Scott and Chris that also covers basketball and New Year's resolutions, we asked both of them to share their main takeaways from one of the biggest upsets of bowl season. When I saw Michigan, some of those players dropping out, especially Devin Bush Jr. and Rashawn Gary, Higdon, the great running back, I'm like, okay, Michigan, that tells me that I don't know how motivated they are going to be in this game. And Florida, you could tell all week that they were enjoying their time up there, that the players were into this, and they – the bowl game meant something to them, but still, yeah, you know, we had that recent history. We all saw it with Florida, Michigan. It had not been very kind to Florida. And I just thought they came out and really uh, responded well. You know, that first drive, they had the touchdown that looked like Michigan was going to take their lead. It was called back and they stopped them on fourth and one. And really from then on, Florida, even though they did fall behind at times, you just sensed that they were going to hang closer to Michigan in this game, and then obviously they ran away in the second half and closed the season with 10 wins, Adam. That's, what, six more than last year? I would have never predicted that. They got a big bowl win in the New Year's Six game. A lot of things went right for Florida on Saturday, and it really put a nice cherry on top of Dan Mullen's first season and, and offers a lot of optimism going into next year. I would say what jumped out at me, and again, I was in the O-Dome uh, watching that game on the Jumbotron in the run-up to the basketball game with uh, several thousand Florida fans, so I wasn't there to see it firsthand, but um, just the, the blueprint of it looked an awful lot like what we saw the last month of the regular season. The South Carolina win, I'm going to bypass the Idaho win, but go right to the Florida State win, and that, they just took the game over at the end. Uh, they imposed the will. They dominated uh, late. That's all, uh, to me, reflective of the strength and conditioning program of Nick Savage. This is That's how the team got better over the course of the year in terms of its strength and conditioning. And when you're in much better shape, like the Gators obviously were in this year, that's what happens at the end of games. You saw – look at how the offensive line improved over the course of the season. I mean, we were wondering what was going on with them, and frankly – uh, what was wrong with them early in the year. And it ends up being a strength of the team. Um, that's going to be big. You know, this is going to be key going in the offseason to replace these guys. And who, who would have thought we would have said that a couple a couple months ago? But uh, uh, the way Florida 
took over the game late and rallied to beat South Carolina the way Florida uh, took over the game. It was a fairly close game, I believe, the Florida State game, and took that game over. And then to do the same thing against the Michigan team, granted, a, a little bit of a watered-down Michigan team, in that forum, in that venue, the, the manner in which it happened was was striking to me, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not uh, Michigan had all its players. But, uh, you know, a third-and-20 give-up play becomes a 53-yard touchdown. Sure. Um, I think that speaks a lot to what was going on uh, with Florida, how Florida was approaching the game, and maybe it speaks a little bit to what Michigan was. But um, everyone goes to bowl games with different agendas, Adam. Florida's was to uh, uh, was to win the game and to win it convincingly. And I, I, I give again, I've been saying this all year. That may have been a little bit of a tough sell for Florida. I think we even talked about this a couple of weeks ago on this podcast. Um, probably Florida and Florida fans, and how you how are you going to sell this Michigan game for the third time in four years? But hell, I I don't know how he did it because I wasn't behind closed doors in the locker room. But he did it. Uh, the coaching staff did it. The strength coach did it. The players sold themselves on it. They left with an incredible, indelible memory of winning that game in Dan Mullen's first season and uh, really putting a, a blue and maize star on what turned out to be a fantastic season. You know, another part of it that I think is significant is the idea that when Dan Mullen was hired, it was to make Florida football fun again, to bring back the fun element of when the Gators have been so successful in the past. And I'm not sure where you guys stand on this. To me, as I was thinking about it, that was the most fun, I think, a Florida game has been to watch, maybe since the Tebow era. And if not that, I would say that the 2014 Florida-Georgia game where the Gators ran for 400-whatever yards and totally stunned Georgia, that dominant fashion that you win a big game in, that, to me, is when Florida football was fun, and that's what we saw on Saturday. It's been a while since, you know, they had that big win against Florida State, obviously, but they hadn't been to the New Year's Six Bowl since 2012. Uh, we know how that turned out. Got thumped by Louisville. Mm. Um, so they just haven't, I mean, Adam, they were 34 and 28 over the previous five seasons before this year. Wow, I, that's that's uh, that's not Florida like at all. It's, of those five seasons, twice they had losing Florida 1970s. Yeah, <laughs> so so people have been waiting for hope, and I, I agree with you. I thought you know if you just were down there on the field after the game, I mean there was like some real joy, some real tears by mm. those players because. They've been through this, and they've worked hard to get to a point where they could enjoy a moment like that. And, and you could tell it was genuine, their emotions afterward. And uh, I think more than anything, oh, I think why you saw maybe the reaction th- from the fan base, because really it, it, it's been a month-long build here. Um, if you look over to their last four games since the second half of that South Carolina game when they took off, they're averaging 522 yards in their last four games. They're averaging 45 points in their last four games. And one commonality with Florida Gator fans we know about, they have the most fun when the yards are piling up and the points are rolling up on the scoreboard. And Dan Mullen spoke of that in his introductory press conference. He said the only – I remember him making a Steve Spurrier reference because uh, Spurrier was there. He says, hey, I might be the only guy here who likes points more than Spurrier. Uh, they both obviously like them. Uh, they both have a knack for putting them up. And I thought, again, from an offensive perspective, I thought Dan Mullen had such a nice touch with some of those play calls, though, even though he gave Ryan Johnson credit on that fourth and one 30 yard run by Tony, uh, a play like that, just the, the pitch out to Scarlett mm-hmm. that scored 
the 27 to 10 lead. Uh, there was a couple other play calls in that game that, you know, he just has that knack. The guys believe in it. They're getting production. Felipe Frank said after the game that his confidence had hit rock bottom last year. And Phil's he's confident again. I mean, is he still putting up Rex Grossman or Danny Warfel numbers? No. But he might not have to in Dan Mullen's offense. Quarterbacks typically don't. Uh, but he's playing well. Turned it around. Got four wins uh, to end the season. They're going to finish in the top ten of the national rankings. Ten wins in, what, from four and seven to ten and three? So I think a lot of that fun you talk about, those res- uh, that kind of production uh, is the reason Gator fans are having fun. I'll take exception to your to your point, Adam, and say that was the funnest game since maybe Florida State four weeks earlier. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think you have to throw that in the mix just because of the drought that the Gators had against the Seminoles, and clearly those guys enjoyed that. But this was, uh, again, this was kind of like a, an addendum to that, and to Scott's point about Felipe Frank's confidence, uh, again, I'll, I've, I've done this last few times, but I'll go ahead since uh, with the exception of little Clemson and Alabama, the final numbers are all in. Last year, 2017, points per game, Florida was 108th in the country. This year, they're 22nd. Wow. Yard per game last year, 110th in the country, uh, sec- uh, last in the SEC, 43rd this year. Rushing yards per game last year, 75th, this year, 27th. Yards per play last year, 105th, this year, 32nd. So this kind of stuff speaks to yourself. No wonder Felipe Franks is con- is, is confident because everything around him is working well. And uh, that's that's going to make a quarterback more confident. It's going to make his teammates more confident. And it's going to make uh, uh, the product, obviously, a lot more pleasing to watch. And, and speaking of Felipe Franks, that's where I want to go next because you guys remember even – a week before the Florida State game, the thought was, oh, when will Florida make the switch to Emory Jones? They do it in Florida State, they do it in the bowl game. The fan base, I think, was sort of on the, the line of, okay, this is the end of Felipe's time and, and the sun is setting. And if you look at the way he played in the Florida State game and then in the bowl game, it almost seems now like the job is really his. And, you know, things can fluctuate. You never know what's going to happen in spring camp. But he seemed to really take the mantle of that job. And, you know, as you said a second ago, he's not putting up Rex Grossman numbers. But if he doesn't turn the ball over in this offense, it seems that he has the ability to be very effective. Yeah, I mean, he's shown that. And for the fans out there who have really listened to what Dan Mullins had to say, I mean, it's been Felipe Frank's job since he got here. There was that one stretch in the Missouri game where Felipe was bad, but the Gators were really bad around him. The defense was bad. They lose on homecoming. Obviously, Kyle Trask got a little work in the second half, so there was all that speculation that maybe he would start against South Carolina. Of course, Trask gets hurt. Uh, Felipe starts, and it's I think uh, from there he's thrown for eight, oh, more than 800 yards, seven touchdowns, no interceptions, and the best four-game stretch since – Tim Tebow was the Florida quarterback in terms of just the team. So, uh, you know, he's going to enter next year, I would think, as a starter. But Emory Jones, you know, we, we've seen a little package of him here and there. I think Dan Mullen ideally would like to get him involved more next year. I, I think there are ways to do that with the way Mullen operates uh, an offense. You've seen it in the past over the years, even at Florida, his first year, you know, or Tim Tebow and Chris Sleek. There was a a combination of those two guys that helped Florida win a national championship back in 2006. So 
but still, yeah, Felipe, I mean, he's, you, you know, he fits a lot of what Mullen looks for. He's shown improvement. He's uh, gained confidence. And, you know, I got to believe that Dan Mullen feels probably a lot better about his quarterback situation entering year two than he did at the start of year one because he kind of has seen Felipe take off. He knows what he's got in Jones and how maybe some ways they can utilize him more in year two. For now, they still got Trask there, and they're bringing in Jalen Jones, who Mullen's very familiar with uh, on the recruiting trail. So, again, it's just developing some depth there that Florida hasn't had. And, you know, we're talking about the Gators being more fun and winning a big bowl game. Well, there's nothing that's going to highlight that more than good quarterback play. I go back to something that's probably we mentioned beginning of the year. Uh, and probably mentioned along the way, people wondered, questioned Felipe Franks uh, early on. Shouldn't he be further along because he started nine games last season, to which point Dan Mullen said he hasn't started nine games in this system. Hmm. Okay. Well, now he's started uh, 13 games in the system, and I think uh, the progress is there for everybody to see. He's earned the right not to be you know, in the crosshairs and on dartboards uh, next year. Uh, the guy was MVP of the Peach Bowl. And he gets credit for this. Mullen always talks about buy-in, buy-in, buy-in. And Frank certainly has done that. It took him some games to get where he needed to be. But I don't think anybody could have any qualms with how he performed uh, the last four weeks of the season. And his his performance the last four weeks of the season is a microcosm of how the entire program performed. 24 touchdowns, six interceptions, almost 2,500 yards. There you go. Those aren't bad numbers. And you know what? He also rushed for almost 400 yards. And so, you know, he's put together a really good season. Does that mean that next year against Miami, if he throws an interception in the first half, that Twitter won't explode? Of course not. But <laughs> uh, I think maybe Chris will point out some tweets from this season later this week on FloridaGators.com. Yeah, some tweets of when Dan Mullen was hired. <laughs> Felipe Franks at, at his uh, Naders. Yeah, I've gone back and looked up some things. So maybe uh, we can have some fun with that later this week. There is nothing quite like Chris Harry's Twitter police. Everybody is officially on on uh, on notice. That's right. The siren's always on. Siren's always on. And the siren was certainly on for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson as he was the MVP of the game on the defensive side and became, cool trivia here, the fourth Gator to be the MVP of multiple bowl games, the other three being Tim Tebow, Emmett Smith, and Eric Rett. So cool trivia for you to use on your friends out there. But he is one of the guys who is leaving early, announced it before, and then went out and probably helped his status and maybe made a statement about some of the players who choose not to play in these games for fear that it has a negative impact. But as we record this today, who else do we know is leaving and who else are we waiting to find out if they're going to come back or not? Well, you knew before the Peach Bowl, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was the first to announce uh, not a big surprise, and obviously he went out and really helped himself in the uh, bowl game with those two interceptions, and won't be surprised at all to see him drafted in the uh, upper half of the draft. Right after the game, offensive lineman Jawan Taylor made his announcement public, saying he was going uh, into the draft, and again, potential first-round pick had a, a season that he really elevated his status uh, with the NFL draft evaluator, so uh, you know, anytime you're a first round, potential first round pick, I think that's a smart move. And the same goes for Ja'Kai Polite, who announced a couple of days after the game that he was leaving. And then, of course, the last two guys to announce uh, this week so far, uh, running back Jordan Scarlett and linebacker Voshan Joseph, 
again, neither guy really a surprise at him. I think of those two, Voshan Joseph probably is a little more of a surprise. While he, he had a really good season, led the Gators with 93 tackles, uh, a little bit undersized maybe for NFL, 6'1", about 226. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where he goes in the draft. George Scarlett is a, a guy that, you know, he's a fourth-year junior. I think a lot of people expected him to, to leave. So, you know, running backs, how that works, uh, you, you have a lot of running backs in the NFL who aren't necessarily th- uh, in the top, you know, a couple of rounds, but still carve out nice careers. That's just kind of the way the position is, is uh, trending right now in the NFL. And Scarlett will find a home somewhere at the next level. So you got five guys right there we know for sure, which, Adam, that already ties the program record. Uh, they've had five guys for this year. Uh, come out early four different times over the years, 2016, 15, 9, and 2002 after those seasons. So they got a chance to break it if a guy like Michael Pirine or Jabari Zaniga or Van Jefferson, those three guys are the most likely, uh, seem like they've been speculated about the most. I don't know, uh, again, neither, neither of those players have made a decision public yet. They were asked after the Peach Bowl by different members of the media, and uh, you know, a couple of guys said they were still thinking about it, but they were they were uh, kind of hesitant to really lean one way or the other. I won't be surprised at all if all three of those guys are back, which I'm sure is what Dan Mullen's hoping. But been around long enough, Adam, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of them leave. Those three, the one that I think probably has the biggest upside, maybe in the NFL, is the nigga. But he kind of got overshadowed this year by Polite. I think another year would really help him in college. But, again, you know, you just don't know once the the game's over and, they, you know, their family and friends and others start talking to them what their decision's going to be. But we're just kind of waiting to see on those guys. So it was actually quite a day on that Saturday for the Gators because shortly after football took care of business in a major way, so too did basketball. And Chris, you mentioned that's where you were. Uh, It was the rematch of Florida and Butler from the Bahamas, a game that Florida lost. This time, not only did they win, but they, they won by 34 points. And I guess the question I would ask you is, what got into the Gators all of a sudden against Butler? Yeah, it's amazing the uh, amount of energy guys play with when shots are going in versus when they're not. And I, I guess that could be somewhat construed as, as, as an indictment. But, uh, I mean, my, Mike White made the point afterwards. He says, just, call, just calling it like it is. You play harder when the ball goes in. Maybe you got a little more bounce to you. And, and that shouldn't be what it is. And the players talk about it all the time that uh, effort is something that can be controlled. Shots going in, you can't necess- necessarily control that. But they made shots from the outset, and they certainly defended. And uh, there's been something that Florida has done uh, for all but one game this season. It was the first game at Florida State, is play defense. And they have a, a defense now that the advanced metrics is ranked in the in the top ten in the country. And Mike White knows that that's something that uh, that has become their identity, and that's something that they need to play to. He would love to be able to get some more out of this offense, and certainly that game uh, was encouraging. But no one left the Odom that day thinking anything was fixed. Um, Jalen Hudson has played better the last couple of games. That would certainly uh, be a jolt for the offense if he was able to uh, start um, inching his way back to where he was last year. But he still doesn't look very confident um, on offense to me. And so there's, I think there's still some work there, but the good thing about him is in the, in the last two games uh, where he has maybe hit some shots, he's also 
bounced around a little bit. And I think he's gotten uh, uh, six. I think he's got 13 rebounds the last two games. And he's not he's not a great rebounder by any stretch of imagination. He had seven against Butler. So there are some encouraging signs. And certainly uh, when you play well uh, last game before starting the Southeastern Conference play, that's a good thing. And uh, I don't know if there was so much going on with Butler where maybe they maybe they were tad overconfident. Maybe they had a little hangover from the holidays. Um, that's natural. This time of year, you see uh, some some bad play. You see uh, mid majors uh, upsetting um, uh, uh, high majors a lot this time of year and what have you. But uh, you know, Florida gets credit for playing that way, and they were up twenty one to nothing uh, and didn't allow a point for more than nine minutes into the game. That speaks to how they were guarding, how they were defending, and there was a sequence late in the game, Adam. I believe they were up by thirty three or 32 and there was a loose ball I think with two and a half minutes left on the game and two Gators uh, sprawled out on the floor to try to get it that's what he's trying to get nameless faceless scoreless games just uh, play hard um, that's the identity he wants they're they're not there yet they're nowhere near there yet but uh, they certainly have a have a chance to get where they need to be but uh, a, a good indicator will be how how they come out of the box in in southeastern conference play they open Saturday at home against South Carolina and flip it around right away to go to Arkansas. And then they'll be home against Tennessee um, the following Saturday. And that will be a hell of a barometer because uh, by then, who knows if some weird things happen. Tennessee, they're number three now. They could be number one in the country by then. Who knows? And with that SEC slate starting up, what are the expectations for these first couple games, especially the kind of teams that South Carolina and Arkansas have this year? Well, the expectation from internally will be to defend. And uh, uh, some things that Florida has done surprising. Remember, going into the season, Mike White was wondering how his team, how he's going to get this team to defend, and he wasn't worried about offense. So the, the script completely is flipped. So I, I think they're getting to a point now where they're they've whittled down the rotation. Uh, basically, it was a nine-man rotation uh, against Butler. I think that's a good thing. Uh, uh, you know, th- those players may change as the season goes on, but you know, I don't think you can play a whole lot more than that. And still get it and have guys getting into any kind of flow or what have you. They become a pretty accountable rebounding team. That has to stay, you know, given what they're going to face in the Southeastern Conference. So the trajectory is such that they need to keep building on what they've established so far uh, defensively and maintain that at uh, that level, uh, if, if, if not improve on it. And I, and, and I think they can. And I, and I think that they will. What, what I don't know if they can do is, is, is keep improving on offense, which they've done the last couple games. Uh, certainly doing it against Butler is more impressive than doing it against Florida Gulf Coast. But they need Jalen Hudson back in the back in the fold. Uh, they need him a, a competent Jalen Hudson because we know he can really score the basketball. So uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, hopefully Kayvon Allen can uh, uh, get some kind of element of aggressiveness, build on that a little bit. Uh, Kavarius Hayes, uh, always uh, limited offensively. He's actually, I believe, made 11 of his last 12 shots over the last three games. So that could be a bright spot. He still uh, is the leader and um, uh, the foot soldier when it comes to uh, uh, effort and intensity and certainly as a, as a help defender. Um, a guy who I think has really picked up his game of late, and if they can, he can start, keep his motor going, is Keontae Johnson. Uh, a, he doesn't play hard all the time, and they talk to him about it all the time in practice. But I tell you what, when he does go hard, he is a factor, especially when it comes to, to rebounds because – the way he can jump, he can get involved in just about every loose ball, every, every kind of rebound, uh, any kind of 50-50 ball he can be involved in. 
So I would watch him as the season unfolds in terms of minutes. So uh, uh, between that, Noel Locke, Andrew Nemhard, Keontae Johnson, this freshman class, um, we'll see how they respond as the season gets a little longer and we get into Southeastern Conference play uh, this week against South Carolina. Moving on to our PAT, we have reached 2019, New Year's resolutions. That is the topic. That's what everyone's trying to focus on, at least for the first couple weeks until they lose them. I want to know for you guys, what is the best New Year's resolution you've ever managed to keep? And what was the least successful New Year's resolution that was just never going to happen for you? I think my, the best New Year's resolution I ever made was probably like 35 years ago when I actually like everybody probably wakes up January 1st. So I'd like to get in better shape. And uh, actually did that once and then and and joined the gym and haven't stopped since. So I'll keep it that way. I think I'm a healthy person at my age and I'm not going to stop working out on a daily basis. And luckily, I have a support system around here that allows me to do that. And the people over there are basketball, the strength and conditioning coach. He helps me out with that front. and I appreciate that. And uh, that's where I would go with that. So I'm not big into New Year's resolutions personally. I've done the old get in shape. I've I've lasted some years better than others. I need to do it again this year. But the one that stands out, I remember I was cursing a lot in high school one year. And I said I need to stop cursing less. So I did stop cursing less. I think it stuck until I, I started working around Chris. I started cursing <laughs> more again. So I guess I need, to, I need to go back to that to stop cursing less. You know, my best New Year's resolution was that once it was three years ago, I decided I was going to cut my soda intake in half. Instead of having a soda at lunch and a soda at dinner, I decided to just have a soda at dinner. And that's worked. I've, I've kept that up for, I think, three or four years now. So that's the most successful. Do you have a, a very unsuccessful one that you set out that you just, it, it was never going to happen for you? Oh, boy. Uh, I probably, the ones that have worked least for me is something like, to cut back on pizza or chicken wings, those have never worked. But I'm really not one of those people who sit out like on New Year's Eve and writes out a list. I kind of like to take it each year is a new year, Adam, and I just see where it goes. And I live my life like that. I'm an adventurous person, so I just I try not to make too many resolutions because what if I have an opportunity that comes along that's against my resolution, but I really want to do it? Then I have to break it. So I'm just saying, help with it. I'm not going to make any. Mine have been about trying to eat a little healthier, and that usually falls by the wayside. Though I did a pretty good job last year on it uh, and dropping some pounds and everything. Hopefully, I can carry it over this year. But that's always that's always a little tough. And that's usually when Chris is cursing the most. Eat <laughs> <laughs> like that. That's right. Yeah, that that can get dicey. Uh, well, good luck to both of you with your New Year's resolutions. Good luck to everyone listening with theirs as well. And uh, certainly. Good luck to the Gators this weekend. Chris will be covering them as they open up SEC play. Check him out at Gators Chris and follow Scott at Gators Scott. He will keep you posted on these uh, these decisions that some of the Gators are making about going to the draft. They have a deadline of, I believe, is it January 15th? I think you are correct. Okay, so we'll, uh, we'll definitely have more updates on that and get a better idea of who's going to be at spring camp for Florida and who's going to be trying to get drafted. So until then, gentlemen, thank you very much, and we will talk to you again next week. All right, thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Happy New Year. When Cam Neubauer was hired last year to take over the struggling women's basketball program, he knew it wouldn't be an overnight fix. Now in his second season, Coach Cam is leading the Gators through the growing pains of a complete culture change and has the team sitting at 4-9 entering SEC play. 
as he continues developing the existing players while also looking for game changers on the recruiting trail. We began our chat with Cam by asking what positives he's taken away from a tough first half of the season. Good thing with the number of opponents we played at home on the road and just the strength of our schedule, I think, has really helped us in learning how to play different styles, learning how to play at home and away, the challenges, you know, really help prepare you for, you know, the SEC gauntlet. I think you have to show them realistically what's out there, um, what they're up against, you know, through throughout their tenure as a Gator. And so it's just part of that process of continuing trying to learn and grow and become the best you can. And, uh, yeah, it hasn't, you know, it hasn't been all wins and losses in the, in the columns, but each day in practice, we're getting better. We're fighting. Kids are gaining confidence. And uh, I think our culture is definitely being built better and better each moment. So the record says 4-9, but there have been so many close losses. What do you think will get you over the hump to pull out more of these close games? You know, we've had uh, eight halftime leads. Uh, Northwestern, we're up nine with a minute and a half to go, and we lost in overtime. And if you look at all those different moments of adversity we had, I think the reason why we couldn't overcome the adversity in those moments was because of our youth and inexperience. And you don't know how to make a game-winning shot if you've never taken a game-winning shot. Hmm. And so how do you learn how to play with the, win with the lead if you've never played with the lead? How do you, you know, all these things are learning experiences for us. And uh, it, it's, it's, you've got to be positive with what you learn in those moments, win or lose, because you have to keep moving forward and you have to keep building on whatever adversity you face. And so that's what we've done. You know, our focus is continuing to improve and staying focused for 40 minutes with the offensive and defensive game plans has been a big topic that we talk about a lot and try to find different ways to help us regroup and refocus throughout games. So overall, um, you know, we're, we're getting better and better. And like I said, it, it might not show up in the win-loss column, but uh, but I know we're improving. Well, one highlight has certainly been Funda and the points that she scored for you when she's been healthy and on the court. Can you just talk about what makes her such a dynamic scorer? But she can score inside she can score outside uh, obviously her ability to stretch the floor with um, the three but then also her crafty and savviness with ball screens and scoring at the rim with uh you know european flavor to her game almost with that, that aussie awesomeness she has it's just unique and crafty and it's got a, a great knack for scoring you know that's helped us a lot um she's able to help other people get open shots but she's just a gamer adam i mean funa nagasago is she's a gamer she's a competitor who just wants to be the best she can and wants to help this program be the best it can be. Building a program doesn't happen overnight, but from year one to year two, what aspects of the culture that you're trying to create are you seeing more of at this stage? Just everything from day-to-day operation with how our players are performing in the classroom, how they're carrying themselves in the community, the service work we continue to do in the community. But it's one thing to do service work. It's another thing to have the engagement that our players have with our fans and our community and serving others is really special because that really spills over into the locker room and into on the court and seeing the accountability that our players are having with themselves, but also helping their teammates have peer accountability, the peer review, the peer encouragement is one thing that if you want to have a winning program, you have to have, you have to have teammates that look out for each other and don't just candy coat it, but tell them the truth and help them get better. And so it's been cool seeing those growth areas and our team come together, especially with such a young team and just people that are here that don't just play basketball, don't just want to be at Florida, 
they want to make Florida women's basketball program great. Dan Mullen was hired to make Gator football fun again. And it seems you're looking to do the same thing with bits like your cowboy cam video on Halloween going around campus in costume uh, as Woody from Toy Story interviewing students. Uh, how important is that engagement with the students and the community to what you want to create? Yeah, Halloween's always been a big deal to my wife and I. And also that night we had a, we turned our, our house into a Halloween haunted house for three hours and all the neighbors and the team, everybody came over and went through the haunted house. And so Halloween's a big deal to me, and um, I like Toy Story, and uh, we dressed up as a family a couple of years ago as Toy Story characters, and people called me Cowboy Cam, so we thought, you know what, let's uh, let's go out on campus and have some fun with this, and engage with the students, and engage with the community, and you have to have fun, you know, it's, it's tough what we do, and if you focus just on wins and losses, and if you make it just about people coming to watch you compete, well, then you're, you're going to miss opportunities to really enjoy the benefits of being at a place like the University of Florida in Gainesville. And so just trying to get out and meet people, engage with people, get to know uh, personalities, help people see our team's personality, my personality, help us with what we're building here. What other characters might we see you do in the future? Are there others in your repertoire? Well, I'm a, I'm a Jim Carrey enthusiast. Oh, me too. I, I've got a bunch of Jim Carrey impersonations and <laughs> funny because my four-year-old daughter Chloe even asked me to do some of them now and you know we just encourage our players to have fun like here's some things we're trying to do with the game day experience to try to engage the fans more um, to try to make it more unique to us more unique to our players to engage fans and just trying to think of different ways to do different things that are, are fun for the, the fans and fun for our players. You have young kids who might not be ready for this just yet but what age is right for introduction to the Jim Carrey classics? Well, I mean, the Grinch. Our kids love the Grinch. That's true. I forgot about that. They don't know who Jim is, but uh, but they know who the Grinch is, and, and my oldest one loves it and does can actually do some Grinch impersonations. But you know, overall, I think the, the classic Dumb and Dumber. You, you mm. it's not your raunchy comedy. It's pretty clean and just slapstick, off the cuff, stupid comedy. And so I think watch that at an early age. But you just got to be careful that uh, the kids don't pick up on. And think that that's you know some of those guys that's really the knowledge level that you have so. <laughs> speaking of kids we saw through a really cool gender reveal that you did in the swamp that you're having another girl so congratulations on that uh how do you balance being a coach with being a dad and having a pregnant wife at home on top of all of that well what's most special for me is when, when, when you're young you have idols and heroes and people you you want to model after and so for my daughters to be able to have these 12 ladies on our team this year as, you know, role models is really, really special. You know, Chloe's coming with us tonight on this Alabama trip. And for her to be around our players, it just adds another element. You know, this isn't just a business. It's not just a, a career. This is a lifestyle for us and our family. And I want our players to engage with my family. I want our family to engage with them and get to know them. And it's just, I think it helps our players be constantly reminded that little eyes are upon you at all times you know i like our children to be able to learn from the players and engage with them and see what hard work gets you and so i'm just so blessed and fortunate to be able to have my daughters be around people like our players and you know like i'll be on the bus tonight and chloe will be sitting with them she won't be sitting with me and uh, it's just really really cool to, to be able to be in a profession around young people where they can help build the other young people and just help them constantly see the impact they have far-reaching than just basketball. 
you signed a great recruiting class back in November that I know you're looking forward to getting on campus. Can you tell us a little bit about that class and what excites you about those players? Yeah, we've got uh, Nina Rickards from Christ the King High School in New York City. We've got Briley Bartram from Tampa over at Sefner Christian, a big-time shooter. Uh, we've got Faith Dute from Vancouver, who's a 6'4 forward force with a lot of versatility mobility. And then we've got Lavender Briggs from Provo High School out in Provo, Utah. Hmm. No, with with Lav, Nina, and Bradley, they are very um, competitive, athletic guards that, um, from an offensive standpoint, can score a number of different ways and can really shoot the threes. Uh, Faith is a six-four, versatile, mobile forward that can stretch the floor as well, but also has really good hands and feet, and inside rebounding presence that, that can really um, add some depth to our our roster. But more importantly, those four are. They're excited to build something greater than themselves. When Lav committed to us, she said that she wanted to be part of making Florida women's basketball great. And anytime these young people say things like that, anytime they want to jump on board and and make Florida better than what it is when it's already such a special place, I think speaks volumes for the young people that you're getting character-wise. And that's what those four are. They're, They're just ambassadors on and off the court for Florida, and we can't wait for them to get here. As you enter SEC play this week, what are some of the points of emphasis that you focused on with your team? Just constant growth process of getting better every day on, on the little things, whether it be um, your effort, whether it be your rebounding, whether it be focus. There's just so many parts to the game that you can constantly be working to improve on when you have a young team. And, you know, it's uh, we, we talk a lot about having – um, habits of attitude and effort. Every habit we have is going to be a great with a great attitude and a great effort. And if you do that, I think great things can happen for you. And it might not be today, but it might be tomorrow, might be next week, might be next year. But either way, if you do everything with the best attitude, effort, great things are going to uh, they're going to be ahead of you. We're talking today just after New Year's Day, so all the talk is about New Year's resolutions. Any personal New Year's resolutions that you're focused on here in 2019? Oh, I did not do a resolution this year. Oh, no. Uh, well, now's the time. <laughs> I kind of make resolutions like daily. <laughs> but um, staying the course with, with building our program the right way and, and staying focused on growth. I think too many times in our culture, you can get so caught up with the win and loss column that you get away from the true growth that you can see young people make on a daily basis. And so I'm just trying to stay true to uh, appreciating the growth and the improvement that these young ladies are having every single day, not just in games. And I think if I can do that, I can be a better leader and a better coach for these young ladies. Well, Cam, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it as always. And good luck to you and your team as you guys enter the SEC. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate your time, buddy. And go Gators. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Follow both basketball teams as they venture into SEC play this week, with the women leading the way on Thursday at Alabama and the men to follow shortly thereafter at home against South Carolina on Saturday. Until next time, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the O-Dome.